I mean, it's getting better. It's, uh, I mean, there's been good days, there's been bad days, um, you know, where it didn't feel as, as good as I'd like. Uh, today it felt, it felt pretty good. Um, so hopefully it's just uh, positive steps moving forward here as, uh, as time goes by. Are you hoping to play Saturday? I don't know. Uh, that might be cutting a little bit of close uh, uh, right now, but um, I guess you never know what could happen, but I guess we'll, we'll see. Austin Matthews talking about the possibility of playing tomorrow night against Ottawa as the preseason for the Leafs and everybody else concludes. And, of course, the season kicks off Tuesday for the Leafs. The home and season opener will be Wednesday night. You'll have it here live on TSN 1050. Jim Taddy reporting. Welcome to Toronto Today, our final edition on Tuesday after the long weekend. Leafs Lunch returns and uh, diving into the Leafs story, of course, even deeper on Leafs Lunch moving forward. The Leafs today are in Gravenhurst. Uh, they're going to hit the ice at 1 before their preseason finale against the Sens tomorrow night. Matthews, as you, you heard there, sounds doubtful. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know that um, I, I guess there would be some mild concern about him playing or not playing in the final preseason game. I mean, really, uh, do you ever refer to the final preseason game or any preseason game once the season starts and we do a pretty good job of deleting the regular season once the playoffs start so you know it's one of those things when he's ready he's ready and then you move on from there and quite frankly they have enough bodies up front this is a deep forward unit that if he didn't play next wednesday i don't think it would be you know it would be noticeable but you know so you put kerfoot on the line for a game i mean that happened before and they did all right so i I don't know that there's a pressing concern to get him back I, i know that everybody's concerned about the uh, the chemistry that may or may not be there because you know the the line with Richie and Matthews and Marner hasn't played together though Marner and Richie have knit together nicely so we'll see where all that goes and uh, time will tell as they say in the um, let's be patient business uh, Leafs lines are coming together I, I think I'd like to sort of deal with the the blue line uh, and and everybody you know we're sort of are entrenched with the top four and there's no issue there unless there's an injury and you have to point that out. Just because Riley and Brody, Muzzin and Hall all set. And uh, the final pairing is expected to be Sandine and Dermott. But then there's the Lilligren story. This is an emerging story for me and, and probably for anybody who's watched him play. I think he's had a great camp uh, and obviously out of options. So if they put him on waivers when they declare their roster, uh, then somebody would take him. I'm pretty sure of that. And, and quite frankly, you know, as a first-round pick, it's his time, and, and he seems to be stepping up. I, I really like, you know, what I like about uh, what they've done here, not necessarily just on the blue line, but with the forward units as well, is is sort of the uh, the flexibility that exists. And we've detailed rather nicely, I think, that, uh, you know, when you go down the left side and, and then you go to the, the third-line center and right side and fourth-line center and right side, how interchangeable they are. And so that just tells you that, as we learned last year, the way they start, is not the way they finish, and that's okay. You know, that's part of it. I mean, they're, they're trying to do some major surgery on that left side, so if one guy starts fine and then falters, they've got a lot of pieces to, to move in and out of there. You don't see much of that in the blue line, except, you know, think about this. With Lilligren in there and a right-handed shot, you know, if, if there's, and this is the bad case, if there's some sort of an injury in the top four, I mean, literally, depending on which side it is, I think you could be talked into Sandine moves up or, or Dermot moves up, and Dermot has certainly moved up in the past, and that would put Lilligren right in, and I think he's a good fit with either one of those two guys on the blue line. If it's Dermot that moves up, Lilligren goes on the right side. If it's Sandine that moves up, Dermot goes back to the left side, Lilligren goes in on the right side, and that's nice flexibility, and Lilligren certainly knows 
the Maple Leaf system. So I'm pretty confident that way. I don't know if they're going to carry two extra forwards or one or two extra defensemen or one. And you know, we don't know exactly how tight they're going to be to the cap and, and what the decisions are that way. So that all comes out uh, after or on the weekend, I guess, when they make their final cuts and, and get everything cap compliant. But I do like the Lilligren story. I, he, noticeable in terms of, you know, you can see the maturity in him, and it's his time. And really, then you get into asset management and how many games does he play, and and you know, do you protect him? Of course you do. You put him on your roster. I mean, if you if you exposed him and somebody took him, that would be a waste of all that development time with this guy. And I, I just think he's ready. And I, and I think you know, if you go through some of the other guys, there's veterans there that would uh, probably clear waivers, no problem. Some are on two-way contracts and have been with other teams, and so everybody knows, and, and everybody, if, if anybody wanted them, could have signed them in the summer, and they did not. So that's where we are with the Leafs situation. Let me set up the broadcast today, and again, our final edition of Toronto today. Leafs Lunch returns on Tuesday, and everybody's off on Monday. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. A great family weekend, to say the least, and hope everybody's safe out there and uh, following protocols and everything works out. I, I'm not going to preach to you. I just hope everything works out. So coming up very shortly, we'll have our Buffalo Bills reporter, Sal Capaccio, He's going to come on and talk about the Bills and KC Sunday night, uh, sort of the end to a, a great football Sunday here on TSN 1050. Josh Lewenberg will be by at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to talk about um, the Raptors who lost last night uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, it's quite a different story in that game than one earlier in the week, but that happens. I mean, obviously the Sixers had more of their better players, and it was 125-113, and probably the difference between the two games would have been on the opening game, the Raptors' defense turned it around. They didn't start out well, and the defense turned it around, and then they got going. And last night, the defense couldn't turn it around because they got swarmed, really, in the first half. And, and you know, quite frankly, when Josh is on, I mean, this was this was the way you would always describe the Raptors' uh, offense from defense. The defense would tighten things up, even going back to when Kawhi was there. That you know, you would have, uh, you know, they'd be in the hole by eight or nine points, and all of a sudden there'd be a stop, and you go down and start scoring. And the offense always came from the defense with the Raptors, no matter who was on the floor. And I think that still describes, and the totally different looking team still describes what you're going to see this year. When the defense does its job, the offense takes over. So they're one and one so far and, uh, starting their preseason schedule and plenty of things to talk about there. I mean, literally every time you watch a Raptors game, you'll see somebody and go, Hey, look at this guy play. Obviously last night, OG had a pretty good game and we're expecting him to take a giant step forward. And I think he has. Played 30 minutes and got 22 points last night. So more on the basketball situation later on in the broadcast. Uh, probably going back to hockey here. Uh, Barkov signed an extension with Florida at uh, 10 million dollars an average. So it's uh, let's see, 70. It's a seven-year, eight-year. Sorry, eight years at 10 million. So it's 80 million bucks. Uh, over 70 million in signing bonuses. He would have become a, a UFA July 13th. Signing bonuses. I'm just looking at this. Ooh, 11 million. In years one to three, ten point six in year four, in year five nine, in year six seven, year seven and eight six point two million, and the salaries are like chump change for hockey players. <laughs> Sorry to say that a million bucks a year, but <laughs> well, that's you know that that's you know, front end loaded is not a problem, and sometimes they they do a back end loaded based on the the, the situation. So t- total signing bonus money is seventy two million out of that eighty million boxes. What I'm saying, if, and if you were listening to me and, and sort of doing a, a, an edit job on what I was trying to say when I rhymed off the signing bonuses, that's where you get to eighty million dollars, seventy two of its signing bonus, and and the other eight is a million per year over each of the eight years. Pretty good deal for Barkoff, and again lighter than some of the local contracts, but just going to leave that one alone. 
in terms of uh, Olympic stuff, can tell you that um, we know that Canada named last week Crosby, McDavid, and, and Petrangelo, and the U.S. the other day, Jones, Kane, and Matthews, Austin Matthews. Uh, in terms of the rest, Sweden has uh, Hedman, Landeskogen, Sabanajad, uh, Finland has Aho, Barkov, and uh, Rantanen. Czech Republic has Palat, Pasternak, and Voracek. And uh, the uh, Russian team added three guys today that I don't have on my list that I'm going to try and find. Uh, and we'll pass that along as well. And soccer, big stuff last night. Canada with a very important point in World Cup qualifying, a 1-1 draw in Mexico. And uh, Osario with the goal. Osario's goal was Canada's first goal against Mexico at Azteca Stadium in 41 years. Unbelievable. So as impressive as Mexico is, uh, as a top-ranked team, Canada remains unbeaten 1-0-3. Please, uh, number 59, their next game in Jamaica, uh, Kingston, Jamaica, on Sunday before returning home to play, oh, so Jamaica's ranked number 59, which is what I'm trying to read here, and will play Panama at Toronto's BMO Field uh, next Wednesday. Panama rated 68th in the world, Jamaica 59, and Canada with that big 1-1 drop. And uh, here's our, our good friend Gareth Wheeler on the goal call. Finds Davies. Inside, Asuria! Wheels, pretty excited there. Nice call. And uh, Coach John Herdman, post-game, offered up this. He's a big part in setting the culture in this team, both on and off the pitch. And I just thought he embraced the bravery tonight. He embraced that mentality. For me, it was the best performance I've seen him play in a Canadian jersey. And we wanted to open this game up tonight. I said that right at the beginning. We had, we had to be brave. We had a dare to lose the win, and you know, I thought there was a lot of courage in the players tonight. It's easy to come here and park the bus. But we want to show that we're stepping forward, and we want to show that um, there's more to come. So that is John Herdman post game. Canada won, Mexico won, and uh, on to further action. Things are looking good. In that respect, uh, Rays 5 nothing over Boston in the AL Division Series last night. Uh, and we'll get into some sound later on. Interesting call on the Rose Arena. Uh, let's talk Buffalo Bills now. Sunday night in KC, Sal Capaccio is here, Buffalo Bills beat reporter, sideline reporter, WGR 550 host, and he has a podcast called the Sal Sports and Stuff Podcast. Sal, welcome. How are you today, sir? Excellent, guys. Welcome to you, too. I mean, it's beautiful out, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's uh, overcast here, but uh, everything's okay. You know, it's fall weather. We we don't mind. I, I just want I want to dive into this Sunday night game. Um, when you go back to the Bills' last game last year, the AFC final, uh, you know, how much of a learning curve? What 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 did they take out of that loss, and and how did it motivate them through to where they are now, or did it? You know, I I think everybody has to have it on their mind, right? Because you never want to have your season end. You know, one game short of your ultimate goal, that hurts a lot. And then you think about it all off season, and now really hasn't been too far and removed since then. This is only week five, and they're already going back there. So players are thinking about it. Uh, there's some famous shots of Stefan Diggs being on the field after the game, very emotional, things like that. But at the same time, you know, you, you can't let that be what you're thinking about this week. It, it's, it's another football game. And after this, they still have, you know, how many more? 12 more after this one, right? So you have to remember and put it in perspective that even though, 
it's kind of like the the revenge factor or the emotional factor of getting over that hump and you know getting back there and making right what happened last year. You have to treat this game like it is any other game, basically, and not let that play into your mind, or else you'll probably not be better for it. Yeah, I, I was sort of, sort of wondering there. Like sometimes it's just like a learning thing, and, and you realize because that the uh, the KC team has set the standard for the AFC that that maybe it, it sort of sets your your um, aspirations and, and you know where you have to go. But I mean, the Bills have plenty to be happy about. If you look at what they've done this season, if you throw out that game against Pittsburgh, they have been absolutely dominant. I mean, their point differential, their scoring point differential is is a ridiculous what plus ninety after four games. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's unbelievable, and they really have been dominant, you know. And, you know, there are detractors who point to the schedule, and sure, they have not played the heavyweights of the NFL. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, even Pittsburgh isn't really looking like that good. I think the things would be different if they played right now, but then you get Miami, you get Washington, you get Houston. You know, that's the, that's the lower half, if not lower, maybe five or six teams in the league that you're playing at this point the way they look in, in, in most respects. But look, I mean, other teams play Houston, other teams play Miami. They're not necessarily pitching shutouts in two out of three weeks either, right? And the Bills are doing that. Their defense is playing at an elite level. This isn't college basketball where you get to choose who's on your schedule and schedule non-conference games because you have an open date. They can only play who's in front of them, and the Bills have taken care of business, and they've gone out there, and they just basically steamrolled these teams. Yeah, I, I think there's plenty to be happy about here. I mean, regardless of where it goes, I mean, how many times have you seen a Bills team that would have, you know, a good either a good offense or a good defense? To have them both and the, they complement each other so well. I mean, you could you could spend a lot of time talking about that defense, and you should, but the offense is pretty darn good too, isn't it? It is, and you know that's just been an evolution of offense over the last couple of years. Here, we really saw the jump last year. The offense is specifically Josh Allen running the offense, and him and his numbers from. 2019 to 2020, his second to third year in the league. You know, he was, he really showed signs on the back half of 2019 of elevating his game, but then he took it to a new stratosphere last year. And this team set records, franchise records. Josh Allen set franchise records. They scored 31 points a game. He was the runner up to league MVP last year. I mean, the things that they did last year on offense really kind of put them on the map as a team that every single game when you go in, you have to be ready and aware of the fact that. They're just going out there with, with a lot of weapons and the ability to score a lot of points. But now, you know, last year they had some struggles on defense. They were still pretty good. They came around a little bit more in the second half of the year, but it wasn't a typical Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier defense. It took a little time to gel. They were missing Star Latulale. I think that hurt the run defense. Uh, both Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds were banged up at linebacker. Everything's coming together now, though, guys, and they really are playing really well on both sides of the ball. And I would say even, believe it or not, as well as the Bills are playing offensively, and they put up, what, 35, 43, and 40 points, we have definitely not seen their best football on that side of the ball, which is scary. Yeah, that, that's really scary. Um, you know, everybody sort of breathed in and, and paused with the loss to the Steelers. Now that you could look back on it four weeks later, what do you think about that loss? I think it should be almost looked at like a uh, fourth preseason game in a way. You know, there's only three now, and the Bills did not play their starters and at all through the first two, and not a lot really, and I think it was one half in week number three. Now, that's not an excuse, but I do think it mattered as far as them kind of having that rhythm and gelling in the first week. But give the Steelers a lot of credit. You know, I think the Bills went out there with a philosophy of let's do what we normally do. We'll spread the field. Uh, We'll just throw to all these really great weapons. The Steelers had a really good game plan. Uh, They sat back in his own defense, and they said, okay, we're going to keep everything underneath. But what they could do with most teams can't, they can do that and still get to the quarterback. Uh, Most teams can't do that without generating a pass rush through a blitz. 
Uh, the Steelers got after it with T.J. Watt and Cameron Hayward and Melvin Ingram, and they played really well. So I give them a lot of credit. But, guys, I mean, the Bills still actually, if you go back and look at the numbers in that game, the Bills still pretty much dominated up and down the field yardage-wise. But they turned the ball over a couple times, and they had the blocked punt for a touchdown. That was the difference in the game. And, you know, I think if the two teams play right now, it's a different story. But give Pittsburgh credit. I also think it forced the Bills to kind of reevaluate how they want to approach what they are offensively and maybe give them a little bit of a wake-up call that they can't just go out there and do exactly what they did last year and be the team they were. Yeah, so I mean that, that's an interesting point because a lot of times you, you just assume that you're, you, you end up chasing your own ghost. So they have to understand that as close as they got, it wasn't good enough. And I don't know how much you reconfigure, but, but you really can't rely on last year at all, can you? No, and I think what happened last year was towards the end of the year, as, as, the, as the year went on, you saw more teams doing what I said the Steelers did. And I think that's where the Steelers really got the blueprint kind of from, which is, okay, you know what? We're going to make sure that Josh Allen and company have to work for everything they get. We're not going to give them big plays down the field. They have, they're so good against man-to-man defense with these receivers. They're so, he's so good against the blitz. We're not going to blitz them, and we're going to sit in the zone and keep everything underneath. And I think more and more teams are starting to do that against the Bills. The difference is a team like the Steelers, like I said, can get away with it by rushing four guys and still getting to the quarterback. But what the Bills' response has been since then is, Okay, you want to do that? Well, guess what? Now we're going to put a tight end on the field more. Now we're going to go a little more. Uh, we're not going to go as empty as much. We're going to have a running back back there to help Josh uh, and give him an outlet. So you're seeing a little bit less of the really spread it out empty sets, a little bit more of a tight end usage, a little bit more of running backs uh, being on the field and in the backfield with Josh. You know what the result has been? Dawson Knox has really emerged as a weapon at tight end. Uh, the running game is a lot better right now than it was this time last year. And the Bills have essentially become a more balanced offense now. Yeah, I mean, you're really describing a team that's, that's sort of learned its lessons and that's is right. maturing and knows how to adjust as opposed to somebody who's just sort of going through this and having success for the first time, right? Yeah, and I give a lot of credit to Brian Dable for that. Look, I think one of the best parts and things about Brian Dable is he's been like this for a few years. And he comes from that Patriots tree, right? He coached with Belichick for a long time. He's got Super Bowl rings. He learned that every single game – it has its own DNA. You don't have to have the same game plan every week and say, you know, what do coaches always say? Well, we do what we do. Well, what yeah. Bills do is they adjust. And Brian Dable isn't going to stick to one thing. He's going to do what's best for that particular game and with whatever it is, personnel usage, formation usage, um, philosophy of pass versus run. Now, look, they have Josh Allen. He is who he is. They're going to make sure that Josh Allen has the ball and is throwing it the predominantly uh, amount of time. But, yeah, that's exactly what it is. The Bills aren't going to be beholden to one thing. They're going to adjust. And, you have to have good enough players to do that, though, right? You have to have the right horses to say, hey, if we want to morph into this this week, we can do it. If we want to go with the opposite next week, we can do that, too. Sal, I mean, you have one of the best gigs around. Sideline reporter is fantastic at, at, a, at an NFL or CFL game, whatever, because you're actually seeing things that, that you know, when you're up in the booth, you, you, you have an idea of what's happening, but you're hearing the language. You're seeing and hearing everything that goes on. What's that like? It's incredible, and I appreciate your asking because you know I don't people I don't think people really do get an appreciation until you know you have an ability to be down on the field like the speed of the game, the power of the game, uh, the athleticism of the game, and how fast it goes. And these truly are you know the elite athletes of the world, and you get that up close. Now look, I'm also I'm a former high school football coach, and I coached down in Florida for ten years, which is a, is a different world than high school. By the way, you know they have a lot of great teams and athletes, and so it's in my blood. I, I love being near the action. I, I have to have you know, that energy, so to speak. i got to feel that competition. There's nothing like it for me to pregame really being down there and getting kind of, you know, ready for the action. I'll tell you what I do, though, is 
every every game uh, during the national anthem, I just take a deep breath and I look around and I look at that stadium and I say, like I'm in the NFL, man. Like it's so cool, it's unbelievable. I have one of the only jobs in the world like this, and how privileged I am to be in my position is pretty amazing. Well, that's well said, and, and you know you're going to know firsthand the speed and the veracity of those hits. I mean, you we hear them on the broadcast, but when you're on on ground level and, and you see the collision, uh, it's got to be jarring. And, and the other thing is, you're going to see the pain on on the players' faces yeah. that from a distance you can't tell. You know that the guy's not feeling well, but when you're that close, you understand it. So, two things on that. Number one, I am amazed that more players are not really hurt, like, during games, like, really hurt yeah. because of the speed and the veracity of the collisions. Like you say, you see things, and you're like, oh, my God, like, that's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, what you see on TV is, like, it looks like it's a routine block. Well, when you're up there up close, I mean, these guys are just smashing into each other. When they say it's like a car wreck every play, it basically is. But the other thing is they're so much tougher than people give them credit for sometimes. Like, I've heard people even say to me, like, oh, these guys, you know, they get a hang now. They don't want to play. No, no, no. Let me tell you something, all right? I see what they go through. I see what they're going through on the sidelines with trainers and how they're trying hard to get back in the game as soon as possible and what they have to do to make sure that they get ready for the next series, the next play, and, and, and they're, what their bodies go through, and they're still willing to go out there and, and trying as hard as they can to go out there. It's pretty remarkable. and They, they truly are warriors in that sense. Now, I, I, it's, people can question whether or not it's smart to be doing those things, but this is their life. This is their livelihood, and it's how they get paid. Yeah, I couldn't disagree with any of that. Well said, Sal. Appreciate you stopping by. Thank you very much. Anytime, man. Thank you very much. That's Sal Capaccio, Buffalo Bills beat and sideline reporter, WGR 550 host, and his uh, podcast is Sal Sports and Stuff. So interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I've done one game, uh, the CFL game when we did the Argos. I did one game filling in the sideline. I loved it. I mean, the perspective. And I've said this many times about when you go to hockey games or any sporting event, if it's possible that you could attend any of these events on, on a regular basis and, and you know, it's, it, it would be a, certainly a thrill to be able to sit. And when I, when I sit at Leaf games when I'm not working, I will get seats, I will buy the seats, and I will sit in different parts of the arena. Uh, you know, one, one game is down here, the other game up there. Uh, just because because it's a different game. No matter where you seat or seated, you're looking. You're looking at it differently. You see different things. It gives you the ultimate perspective. But to be at uh, an NBA game down low on that scores table, uh, and there's a, a select people that are. If you're a sideline reporter in the CFL or NFL, if you're somehow low on the rink uh, for a hockey game. The athleticism, the skill will stun you. Uh, the television doesn't do it any justice. Uh, these are just superior athletes. The speed and, and really the, 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 the collisions are, are stunning. Uh, you, you just can't get that, that kind of uh, depth perception on, on a broadcast as much as the technology is, is brilliant. When you're there and you see the guy's face and you go, oh my, that hurt it. Oh, it's just, it's absolutely stunning. So, you know, Sal is very appreciative of that. And I kind of like that. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the basketball. The Raptors lost in Philadelphia last night. So one and one so far. Josh Lewenberg will join us and you, me and you, I guess is the better way to say that on Toronto today on TSN 1050 live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Welcome back to Toronto Today. And as you heard in the commercial break, Leafs Lunch returns on Tuesday. 
Jim Taddy with you till 1 o'clock. Then it's gameplay with Matthew Cause. Right now we're going to talk about the Raptors who lost in Philadelphia last night, 125-113. Josh Lewinberg is our Raptors reporter. He's here now. Josh, welcome. How are you today, sir? Good, Jim. How you doing? Good. You know, I just, I love watching the Raptors. Uh, last night, no Siakam, obviously, no Birch, no Boucher, and, uh, Watanabe were, were all sidelined. Uh, you got to look at some other players. Uh, you know, obviously the defense didn't do the job it did Monday. Philadelphia had better players, but I just like the overall look of this team. There's so many options. How about you? Yeah, they do look deep and, and probably deeper than they were last year. I know one of the things that this Raptors team, the organization has talked about over the last few years is restocking the pipeline, that prospect pipeline, because at one point in the not so distant past, right, that was a huge strength of the organization is all the talent that they were bringing up. But what happens when you basically cash those chips in, in order to chase the championship, which the Raptors, of course, did in 2019, is you're giving up a bunch of those guys. You're essentially consolidating those prospects to go get the type of players that are going to help you win, which is what the Raptors did. Jakob Pertl uh, goes to San Antonio in that package that gets you Kawhi Leonard. Then you're giving up on DeLon Wright and a few other players, of course, Valanchunas, to go get Mark Gasol. So what happened was the Raptors were dealing with, I think, the aftermath of going and competing last year when guys were getting hurt and obviously the COVID issues in the middle of the season, and there just wasn't enough depth in the organization. But this next phase of this next era, I guess, that they're transitioning to, the idea here is to restock that pipeline, bring in some young players that they can grow and develop. And the comparison that they've made to this team is the one of seven or eight years ago, the young DeRozan, a younger Kyle Lowry that helped groom this this uh, core that that team had that they were able to balance winning and competing with developing and planning for the future. That's, I think, where they are now, where you've got Siakam and Van Vliet, who are essentially at the same stage that DeRozan and Lowry were seven or eight years ago. They're, they're about to hit their prime, uh, the early years of their prime anyway, and then they're bringing in these young guys that they can develop around that core. Um, so I do think we're starting to see a little bit more depth than they had a, a year ago, which is a good thing because, as Nick Nurse likes to say, you never know what can happen. And I think that's always been true with injuries and all that. But now, especially with the protocols and COVID uncertainty, you need to be able to go 10, 12, 13 deep. I think the Raptors are able to do that now. I, I've liked what I've seen from some of those younger guys. Delano Banton looked really good in the uh, opener struggled a little bit last night and that's going to happen too right with these young players there's going to be peaks and valleys a learning curve and growing pains but uh, I do think that there are a lot of pieces to work with here a lot of decisions to be made in terms of who makes the roster who makes the rotation but those are good problems to have Uh, I like what I've seen so far for the most part through two games more so in the first game than last night but hey even last night I think OG Ananobi was a huge positive because we're looking to see the signs of growth in his expanded offensive role as well, not just the young guys, but from Van Vliet and Ananobi. Are they ready to take the next step? Yeah, just to finish off that, that 2013 comparison, which I totally agree with. The one, the one dif- difference for me is um, their player development has improved, actually, to the point where it's it's organization, uh, you know, deep from top to bottom, meaning the, the 905 team is, is noted for this. And, in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of these people that are in camp trying to vie for uh, bottom, sort of bottom roster positions would actually search out the Raptors because of their, I guess, quality of player development. Would you agree? 
Absolutely. Justin Champagny, the, the Raptors' two-way wing player, undrafted player, who's looked really good, I think, through two games. He's one of the, the lone players on this team that have been, that's been consistent through the two games, not just played well in the win and, and played not as well in the loss. I, I thought he looked good last night as well. Champagny was telling us the other day that when it came down to his choice, when he went undrafted and he could choose his first team, there was no question where he wanted to be. Toronto, for a bunch of reasons, one, he said he got a good vibe from them in the pre-draft workout, but also, yeah, he, he has looked at the track record and knows that this team has that well-earned reputation for finding talent, developing talent, and not just young talent, but overlooked and underappreciated young talent. Of course, Fred Van Vliet has sort of become the poster boy for that, bet on yourself and, and all that, but the Raptors have done that with a number of players over over the years. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's something that they didn't necessarily have, or at least they were starting to build that seven, eight years ago. Now this is an organization, one, that's very confident in their ability to develop guys. But I would also say they're probably the most well-regarded team in the league in terms of their ability to do that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that uh, is relevant with some of these guys like uh, Champagny or Delano Banton. Uh, but I would also say, even with a higher-profile rookie like Scotty Barnes, and I was talking about this on Overdrive yesterday, is I think Scotty Barnes landed in the perfect spot. Like, the, the biggest fear for him going into the draft, somebody, a player that's so uniquely skilled can play different positions and do different things, it was potentially going to an organization that was a little bit more rigid or traditional in the way they do things, and maybe would have said, okay, no, you're, you're a small forward now, or you're a power forward now. The Raptors aren't going to do that. They're going to nurture the creativity and, and what makes him so unique. They're going to play him in different positions, try different things with him, and, of course, use their developmental system to really help him grow as a player. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in year one as well. Okay, let's talk about a couple of uh, young stars that, that will emerge here. Let's talk about Scotty Barnes. Uh, first off, with Pascal out, I think everybody assumed Boucher would step in. Boucher is now out. Does that open the door, at least at the start of the season, for Barnes? Yeah, th- there's going to be opportunity here. There's no question about that. Now, I think there probably would have been anyway. Like, you don't draft a, a guy like that or really anybody at fourth overall and just bury him on the bench. Like, th- there's little question that the best way to develop is, is through – playing through mistakes and learning on the fly. Um, So one way or another, the Raptors were going to find a way to get Scotty Barnes on the floor. Initially, it looked like, yeah, it was probably going to be in like 20-plus minutes off the bench. But circumstances here, and going back to what I was saying earlier, I think this is a really good situation for him for a number of reasons. And one of those reasons is the stars have sort of aligned for him to play a really big role right out of the gate. Pascal Siakam out probably the first month of the season. I think they're probably targeting a mid to late November return for him. Boucher is going to miss three to four weeks from now. Uh, He had surgery last week on that dislocated finger. So, yeah, there are minutes to be had, opportunity here to to chase. And Nick Nurse has been pretty clear that they're going to give Barnes as many minutes and reps as he can handle it's it's not always going to be pretty as i said i think there's going to be growing pains but this is a good situation for him to learn from because they're not a rebuilding team they're they're not going to be a bad team they're not going to be a great team either so that's going to allow him to do 
some of the things that DeMar DeRozan did back all those years ago and Terrence Ross and Jonas Valanciunas, where you're, you're making mistakes, but you know that you're, you're not going to be pulled from the game. You're not going to be benched. You're not going to be in the doghouse because of, mis- of a mistake, at least not if you learn from it. You're going to be able to be out there and, and learn on the fly and grow, and you're going to be able to do that in a competitive environment. So the opportunity is going to be there, and I, Scotty Barnes does not strike me as the type of guy that wastes opportunities. That's one of the reasons why they liked him and what drew them to him is that work ethic, that attitude, and the approach that he has. And like a lot of the other guys that they drafted a lot later in the draft or they found outside of the draft, he has that quality that the Raptors look for, that drive to um, to, to prove people wrong and to uh, reach whatever his potential is. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's in a good position to do that going into his first season. Let's talk about the guards, uh, specifically Flynn. I mean, last year we didn't know what to expect. An opportunity presented itself, and I think that he grew you know, quite rapidly as a player during the course of last year with all that fractured stuff that was going on. This year, Dragic, Van Vliet, Trent. Last year it was Kyle, Powell, and, and, and Freddie. Uh, how do you see him progressing this year? Do you think he'll get the same opportunity? Well, the opportunity definitely is there without Kyle Lowry um, in that starting lineup. Uh, whether Drogic starts or comes off the bench, there's still uh, an opportunity here for Flynn to be a, a big part of that second unit. And I think that was the assumption. That was certainly the expectation for me once Lowry left is, okay, now, now Flynn is going to get a big role on this team. But he's been a bit of a wild card here early in the the. In, in training camp, it's now two games in a row where Nurse has turned to uh, the Toronto native, Delano Banton, over Flynn in the first half. Now, it's preseason, so you yeah, take everything, including the way the rotation shakes out, with a bit of a grain of salt. Nurse talking after the first game, saying that, hey, he, he wants to get a look at guys, and specifically with um, with Banton and with guys like Scotty Barnes, he wants to see how they look in a primary ball handling role, which you don't really get as much of a look at when you have a traditional point guard on the floor like Flynn. With that said, if they were fully sold on Malachi Flynn as the second unit point guard, I don't think that they would be experimenting away from him. They'd be using him on the floor to experiment with because of how important they envision him being with that second unit. That's why I I say I think there's some doubt here in terms of where Malachi fits in, and I don't know, maybe he hasn't had a a great camp. Uh, Nick Nurse hasn't come out and said that verbatim, but he's also praised a lot of guys for how great of a camp they've had, including Banton and Flynn hasn't really been in that conversation. And just looking at the way that the rotation has played out so far, I would say that nurses is, is probably trying to light a fire under Flynn. And clearly they're looking for something from him in order to, to, to really take hold of that job and doesn't look like they've seen it yet. So I still think that there are clearly rotation spots up for grabs here. There are ones I think that are locked in, but probably more so that are up for grabs. And that backup point guard spot appears to be one of those situations that's up for grabs. Uh, last night when you asked Nick about the starting lineup, he slipped up, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he gave me five names. The first name he mentioned was Kyle. He didn't even catch it right away either. Like he had to, I think, uh, uh, Jennifer Quinn, director of PR, 
there in, in Philadelphia pointed out afterwards, like, hey, you, you mentioned a guy that's not on the team anymore. He's in Miami. Um, and he went back, oh, yeah, actually, it's, it's Freddie V at the, at the point guard position. Uh, yeah, for, force of habit, I guess. It's been a long time, right? Nick Nurse has been around the team for eight or nine years now as an assistant coach before he was a head coach. And as long as he's been here, Kyle Lowry has been here as long as, I mean, I've covered the team now for 10 years, nine of those 10 years, Kyle Lowry was here. So it is weird. I think not having him around, he was always entertaining, right? There's, there's never a dull moment with Kyle Lowry, whether um, he was playing or not playing or, or not. There's, there's, he, he just had this presence about him. He was such a big part of the organization, a big part of the team both on it and off the floor. So there is, I think, a bit of a, a, an adjustment period here where they're getting used to not having him around, whose voice is going to develop in the locker room as being a strong, dominant voice, who are going to be the leaders, who's really going to take charge of this. And I think most people uh, assume that it's going to spread and bleed. I think that's a safe bet, just given that he's groomed for this role. But Pascal Siakam, I think, is going to have to step up and be a louder voice. I know he's more of the lead-by-example type of guy, but in the same way DeMar DeRozan had to develop that voice a little bit as his young career was progressing, I think Siakam is going to have to do that. OG Ananobi, another quiet leader, a quiet young vet, he's going to have to do that. And maybe some of these other players as well. I know it seems a little crazy to think, okay, well, Scotty Barnes, he's a rookie, uh, can, can he be a young leader on this team? He's a more vocal guy, but Fred Van Vliet is a good example of why that's possible. Fred always talks about how he was kind of given the opportunity in the Raptors locker room, even as a young player, first or second year, to develop a little bit of a voice and be more of a secondary leader, not in the same way Lowry and DeRozan were, but he really uh, asserted himself in that locker room. And I think in the same way that this Raptors team is very young and there's opportunity here from a leadership standpoint, I think Barnes and a few other guys might be able to do that here as well. Okay, one final question here, and I'm going to rhyme off, uh, I guess, what, eight names here. Johnson and Champagne are on two-way contracts. The rest are on non-guaranteed contracts. Bonga, Decker, Perry, Gillespie, Watanabe, and Wainwright. Those eight names are fighting for three roster spots. How do you see that horse race going? Yeah, well, it's two to three spots. It, it just depends on whether or not the Raptors want to go into the regular season with 14 uh, guaranteed roster players in addition to the two-way guys, or if they want to go with 15. There's obvious benefits in, in going with 14 from a salary cap uh, perspective. But I think whether it's two or three guys, you can go ahead and – I was going to say pencil in, but you can go ahead and, and use pen or permanent marker here – Utah Watanabe will be one of those players, and Nick Nurse basically let that slip yesterday when we asked him about the uh, calf injury that he's dealing with and, and whether or not he'll be able to play uh, in one of in any of these last three preseason games. And he said, well, he'll be ready for opening night. And that just kind of, I think, indicates that he'll be here on opening night. And Nurse basically said, yeah, like, he's been around. We like him. He fits. And I just think especially when you look at the way that he performed in the first preseason game on Monday, not just how he performed, but where he was in the rotation, one of the first players off the bench, I would be really shocked if Utah doesn't get one of those spots. Um, Outside of that, I really do think this is wide open. I mean, there are a few players, I think, that have higher guaranteed uh, amounts in terms of how much they're owed this year, which might indicate, okay, maybe – 
maybe Sam Decker has a chance, even though we haven't seen him yet. Nurse indicating after the game yesterday that maybe these last few games will be a better chance to see those end-of-roster guys as opposed to the guys that are pushing for rotation spots. So I'm interested to take a look at Sam Decker over these next few games. And then Ish Wainwright is a guy that we haven't really seen much of as well. He's a guy that looked really good in summer league. So uh, I, I think we'll, we'll get a better indication of who's pushing for those spots um, probably in a week or so. I, I still really like Freddie Gillespie. I know he hasn't had a great summer, didn't look good in summer league, has been quiet in these preseason games. But he's got a bit of a head start just in that he was around towards the end of last year, and now especially with Siakam and Boucher hurt, they could use some more depth in that front court. So I, I would say Utah's probably a lock, and then um, Gillespie is, is probably the favorite of that group. Um, and, and maybe somebody else steps up and emerges here over the next week or so. Josh, thanks very much. Look forward to when our Raptors coverage starts, which will be the second game of the regular season. Let me get my schedule out. It looks like it's Friday, October 22nd, the game in Boston. So we look forward to that. Can't wait, Jim. Talk soon. All right, thank you. That's Josh Lewinberg, our Raptors reporter. Uh, I don't know where this is going to go this year, but it's going to be fun to watch. I really like how the Raptors sort of develop things, and now they they have a really uh, open mind approach to um, the sort of the game plan. It's adjustable. You know, we we had the Bills reporter on earlier, and he was talking about you, you could see the difference in the Bills o- over the course of the last few years. Is now they're they're able to do the quick in game adjustment. I, I mean, that's really what attracts me to a lot of sports is everybody has the game plan, but what do you do when it doesn't work? Because it's sort of like life isn't it so uh, the, the raptors are sort of like a live story here I, I don't know exactly where it goes as i said but i'm sure we're going to be entertained and, and and you know maybe it doesn't work out i don't know but it, it would only be it won't be through lack of trying They're, they've got so many options here much like when we talk about the leafs on the left side fascinating stuff thrilled to, to be part of it certainly with the leafs and raptors broadcast coming up next the final segment for toronto today because leafs lunch returns on tuesday and we're going to go up with a blast it'll be yes guy no guy on toronto today Today on TSN 1050, live in your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, final segment for this week, and actually the broadcast for a while. Uh, coming up on Tuesday, Leafs Lunch will be back in its regular spot of, of noon with new hosts and we look forward to, who are they? I don't know who they are. Do you know who they are? I have no idea. But I do know it's time for this. Yes, guy. No, guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the fully sanctioned edition, the Toronto Today edition of Yes, Guy, No, Guy. Producer Stephanie will help us out. Stephanie, how are you? Oh, I know who they are, Chapman. I know who they are. <laughs> and I will not Well, share. who are they? <laughs> I cannot tell you. Nice try. Nice try. I just yeah. want to know. I just want you to know. I know. But you will not know yes, well, until I, Tuesday. I, I, I knew that you know that, that you knew. Anyway, does that make any sense? If, I mean, if you don't know, then nobody knows. Yeah, right? Um, so Go ahead. This is our, our, our send-off edition. Yes, guy, no guy. But I want to say, Tat, I've had a blast working with you this past, what, month and a half? You've been awesome. Yeah. Today has been a lot of fun. And I'm so excited to hear your coverage on the Leafs and Raps broadcast um, starting next week with the Leafies. So um, thanks yeah. for everything this month. 
been awesome. Oh, oh thank you. It's been great oh. working with you. You're a great producer, uh, aside oh, from being a fantastic person. I didn't do that for person. compliments. I didn't do that for compliments. No, no, well, I was I, totally complimentary of you, Tess. Uh, okay. oh, I, I appreciate I'll get it. And I started before I blush here. How yeah, about that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. <laughs> okay, so it's a Leafs edition in honor of Leafs Lunch returning. I asked this sure. actually to Al's brother yesterday, and I'm going to re-ask it to you because he had a, a hard time answering. So, yes, I know, guys. The Leafs will mm. finish third or better in the Atlantic. And just a reminder, they'll be back with the Boston, Buffalo, Detroit, Florida, Montreal, Ottawa, Tampa. Okay, third so I'm going to do a process better. piece here. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a process piece. Tampa, yeah, no, Tampa's gonna be good. Florida's coming on. Ottawa, uh, question mark. Montreal, for obvious reasons, not as good as they were. Detroit struggle. Buffalo struggle. Boston, question mark, because they've lost a number of players uh, and they've added Nick Foligno among others. Uh, you always respect Boston, but I'm gonna say the Leafs will finish third or better in the Atlantic. Yes, guy. I see them coming in third, maybe second. Ooh, lovely. Uh, yeah, I feel like you're yeah. right. You really can never, although we've talked about the aging core in Boston for what, how many yeah. years now? You can never count yeah. out those elite, you know, those elite old men there. Um, by the end of this season, Rasmus Sandin will be playing on the Leafs' top power play unit. Yes, guy, no guy. And just a reminder, you know, right now he is quarterbacking the second unit. Riley's on the top yeah. unit. Uh, I'm going to say no guy, and it's wishful thinking, because if he is, that means that the first unit that they're going to try didn't work, and, and I don't want that to be the case. I, I think that would be a disaster based on how that, that power play sort of just uh, faded out last year. I, I think this could be such a big part of the Leafs' success this year if that power play with Marner being the bumper and, and sort of being allowed to create more. If they could do that, they could actually dominate a lot of games that they were winning in the past. So I'm going to say no guy. I don't want it to happen because that would tell me that the Riley situation didn't work out and and boy I just that that's not good another wrinkle to consider uh, Tats is Riley here post trade deadline oh, you never well, know because <laughs> that could factor in just throwing that at like, you here's just what I'm going to throw at you though Okay, here's what I'm going to throw back at you. When we were talking about Mark Bergevin, uh, Pierre Lebrun's, you know, described it as, as an awkward situation because they, they won't renew him until the end of the season. Um, is it any less awkward to do that with Morgan Riley? Although there's been no proclamation that there will be no talks, but, but it's still equally awkward, isn't it? Oh, yeah, completely. It's, uh, it's probably Hyman 2.0 here. Hyman, yeah, Freddie. Well, you know, we've seen this yeah. song and dance before, and it, that will be a sad moment if and when he leaves Toronto. But we've been there yeah. before, so I guess Lee fans are used to it. Uh, Timothy yeah. Lilligren will play in 20 or more games this season. Yes, guy, no guy. I'm going to go yes, guy. I, th I think to play him in, in 20 or less would be a complete waste of an asset, um, and, and I'm not predicting how he gets in. You certainly hope it's not for injury reasons, but as I said off the top of the broadcast, I like what he brings to the table. I like the Sandine Dermott as the five, six guys. In case of injury, you could move either one of them up, um, and, and when you do that, Lilligren slides in. I think he's had a good camp, so I'm going to say uh, for him to be useful, he'll have to play 20 or more games. I haven't pegged somewhere between 30 and 40. I couldn't tell you why he's going to play like that, other than he would have earned the job, so I don't what falters in front of him well, that's a lot having a lot of faith in him that he's played all of 13 games previously all of 13 nhl games uh prior yeah, i know to but it's season. A, so it, it, you know what he, i think either he does yeah 
Either he sure, does or yeah. you move him. You've, you've wasted your time. Yeah, I love that opinion, Fast. Okay, Mitch Marner will lead the Leafs in points this season. He has led. The, he's been the Leafs' top point getter in three of the last four seasons, including last year, finishing just one point uh, better than Matthews. Uh, I'm going to say yes, guy, because I'm looking for some pushback, and I know that you know to have him battling with Austin Matthews for that honor is fantastic. There's your top two guys fighting it out to see who can lead the team. So uh, the team would not suffer from it, that's for sure. So I'm going to say yes, guy. I think that that could be a positive storyline. How how Mitch pushes back from last year. I honestly don't give a crap as long as he's the least the lead point getter in the playoffs this year, Tash. Yeah. That's all I care about. That, Do that what was you well want said. You need yeah. the top point getter come playoff time. Um, yeah. Okay, one more quick, 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 and this is just a look ahead to opening night. Pierre Engel, right. he will be the odd man out opening night. Yes, guy, no guy. Uh, that's a hard yes guy. I don't see how he gets in, and uh, we'll just we'll leave it at that because we're crunched for time. Uh, Stephanie, it was my pleasure to be here, and I, uh, thank you for asking me to do the show. It was it was great fun. Have a great uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Leafs lunch returns on Tuesday. Everybody up next game play with Matt Cause.